Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. Today, we'll start to break down Intolerance from 1916. I knew this film dealt with four distinct time periods, but I didn't realize until I watched it that they were intercut. It's four parallel stories, each progressing to a potentially violent climax with characters dealing with the ramifications of intolerance in their time. It was D.W. Griffith's follow-up to his groundbreaking and controversial film, The Birth of a Nation, which, while a milestone in the history of cinema, also plays up offensive racial stereotypes and paints the Ku Klux Klan as heroes. I thought it was interesting that the same man who glorified the Klan in one movie made a movie condemning intolerance in his next. According to Wikipedia, however, this was not his attempt at a redemption, quite the opposite. Griffith felt critics were intolerant toward him over the message of Birth of a Nation. So I see no reason to defend Griffith, and we'll just move right along to discussing the film Intolerance. I want to deal with each time period separately, so in this episode we'll deal with the portion set in Babylon, and I'll do each subsequent piece as we get to it in our timeline. And once we get to 1915, the contemporary portion of the film, I'll I'll review and talk about the film uh, in more detail as a whole. But for now, we're looking at 539 BCE. And keep in mind that this is a silent film, so a lot of the information we get comes from the title cards intercut with the footage uh, than just the film itself, which can be uh, hard to hard to follow. We we see the great city of Babylon with its high walls and people from many lands: the the East Indies, Egypt, Persia, and Numidia, uh, modern Algeria. There are also several of the distinctive Lamassu statues, the lion or bull bodies with wings and the heads of bearded men. These are protective gods associated with the Assyrians who predated the Babylonians in the area. Our main character is the irreverent and tomboyish mountain girl. Yes, that's the name of the character. She's from the mountains of Suisina, Suisana, uh, according to the title cards. The, this was uh, also known as uh, Elam and was southeast of Babylon. Uh, Babylon was built on the Euphrates River in modern Iraq, just 50 miles south of where Baghdad is today. The Zagros Mountains are to the east and run almost a thousand miles roughly along the western border of Iran. But the point for our mountain girl here just seems to be that she's a kind of uncultured hillbilly. Uh, I'm guessing also, though, that such a character uh, wouldn't look like a white girl from Brooklyn. But, again, last week, our ancient Greeks uh, also wouldn't have been speaking English. Anyway, she uh, causes a ruckus while turning down the advances of a warrior poet character who takes an interest in her. Mountain Girl's brother is exasperated that he can't control her and takes her before the court. Uh, The title card calls this the... First known court of justice in the world, uh, with the code of Hammurabi protecting the weak from the strong. Hammurabi was the king of Babylon in the 18th century BCE, so about 1,200 years before our story today. Uh, He's significant because we have original copies of the laws he enacted and wrote down. 
1901, so just 15 years before the release of Intolerance, archaeologists found a seven and a half foot tall stele, basically a giant stone slab, uh, with this code of Hammurabi written on it in Akkadian with a cuneiform script. A cuneiform was made with uh, wedge-shaped indentions uh, pressed into a tablet. The code is known for its eye-for-an-eye and tooth-for-a-tooth form of justice. The nearly 3,800-year-old stele is on display at the Louvre in Paris. Anyway, the court sentences Mountain Girl to be uh, to the marriage market, so a good husband can buy her and get her under control. And this was a practice recorded by the Greek historian Herodotus, who lived a century after today's tale. Basically, the idea was that marriage was a contract between a woman's father and her would-be husband. So they'd just auction off women one after the other, which made it convenient for all involved. Sorry, ladies. Uh, Mountain Girl is full of personality, even when on display. As the guys are checking her out, she says, Touch my skirt and I'll scratch your eyes out. As she chomps on a raw onion on stage, daring anyone to bid on her. Uh, and at the same time, getting slightly offended when no one does. Fortunately for our girl here, the Prince of Babylon happens by the market at this time. This is Belshazzar, uh, as mentioned in the Bible and in historical narratives. Uh, he was co-regent king with his father, Nabonidus. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh, Belshazzar gives Mountain Girl his seal on a tablet that says she can marry or not marry as she sees fit. Uh, Mountain Girl now pledges herself to serve Belshazzar, not that he's aware of this, it's more of just uh, her hero worshipping him. Now, running concurrent to Mountain Girl's story is a feud between the priest of Belmarduk and the followers of Ishtar. Uh, the prefix Bel roughly means Lord, so the god is Marduk, and he was the patron of Babylon. Ishtar was the goddess of love. And quick side note, she actually makes a cameo, so to speak, in the Epic of Gilgamesh the oldest surviving work of literature in the world, uh, which is also from this area. So the intolerance in this storyline of the film is one religious sect refusing to accept the other. The priest of uh, Belmarduk prophesizes the fall of Babylon, but basically he's just jealous Ishtar is getting all the attention. She's the party god. And despite being from 1916, there's actually some brief grainy nudity with the girls lounging around Ishtar's Temple of Love. Before the Hayes Code or Production Code began in the 1930s, Hollywood movies were actually far more racy. Uh, anyway, the priest says Babylon is now cursed because King Nabonidus, Belshazzar's father, excavated a foundational brick at the Temple of Naram Sim that's 3,200 years old according to, to the title cards. And the date seems off here. Naren Sim was a ruler of the Akkadian Empire, a, a precursor to, to, ba to Babylon, in the 23rd century BCE, so only 1,700 years before the time of Belshazzar, but 4,100 years before the turn of the 20th century when intolerance was made. And this could just be an example of the estimated dates of Naren Sim having been updated in the last 100 years. Naren Sim was actually the grandson of Sargon the Great, whom I mentioned in the Prince of Egypt episode as having been set uh, adrift in a river as a baby. We then cut from Babylon to the Persians led by Cyrus the Great, who would appear to be the most historically significant character in this particular storyline of intolerance. Cyrus was the founder of the Persian Empire. He built the largest empire the world had seen up to that point, controlling land uh, at its height under Darius the Great, from the Mediterranean Sea and the Dardanelles in the west 
to the Indus River in the east. I'll discuss that a little more later, but we learn that the priest of Elmer Duke is in league with the Persians. The title cards call this the greatest treason of all history. This all ties back to Mountain Girl when she suspects something is up and now pretends to be sweet on the warrior poet who liked her earlier, uh, who works for the priest of Belmar Duke. He gives her the password to get past the gates and follow and follows the traitors. When she realizes the Persians are preparing to attack, she rushes back to warn Belshazzar. So while Babylon is just hanging out and celebrating the resurrection of their god, Tammuz, Tammuz, Cyrus is uh, preparing to invade with the help of an inside man. So just like with Troy, your massive walls don't do any good if the enemy can get past your gates. Mountain Girl gets word to the prince who refuses to believe her even as the Persians are entering on the other side of, the, of his city. I mentioned the Battle of Opus at the end of last week. This is one of the biggest historical things the movie alters. Opus was north north of Babylon, and historically, their army lost there to the Persians, and then the Persians took Babylon unopposed. Well, here you could say they moved the battle to Babylon itself, but it's not much of a battle. The, The Babylonians fight as the city is easily overrun. Belshazzar chooses death over capture, and shares a surprising male-on-male on-screen kiss with a guard, saying a respectful goodbye to his monarch. Mountain Girl also dies defending the city, and Babylon falls to the Persians, with Cyrus becoming its ruler and adding the Babylonian Empire to the Persian. So the movie actually works pretty well for a historical glimpse of the fall of Babylon. It's simplified, but uses all the right historical figures, which is a step in the right direction. The big betrayal by the priest wasn't the greatest treason in history that the film claims, as we don't know if anything like that exactly happened. Some sources say a local Babylonian governor may have defected to the Persian side, and there is some evidence that the priests were concerned that Nabonidus didn't properly respect the gods and were kind of cool with Cyrus taking over. Though this does, does seem to be an instance where history is written by the winners, and of course, Persian sources would say they were welcome, welcome conquerors. Uh, while critics praised Intolerance, uh, both now and at the time of its release, uh, it was a commercial failure. It was the most expensive movie ever up to that time. Uh, the sets were very impressive, though. Uh, even in this grainy old footage, it's, it's hard not to be blown away by them. Intolerance has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, though with its extensive runtime, and being a 100-year-old silent film, it's definitely not for everyone. Remember, the story I've discussed is just one of four uh, running parallel in the story. You can find it on Amazon or YouTube. I do believe it's in the public domain now, actually, so if you find it for free on YouTube, you can probably watch guilt-free. I also stumbled across a blog called Midnight Palace that calls Constance Talmadge, the actress who plays Mountain Girl, film's first heroine. Just a teenager when they filmed, she steals the show, standing out as far more memorable than any character from the other segments of the film. And, and think about it. In 1916, she has no time for boys, tricks one into leading her to the enemy encampment, races back on a chariot to warn everyone, and dies protecting her city. Pretty badass. Uh, there doesn't appear to be a lot of other movies about Babylon, just a, just a few campy ones from the 50s and 60s with pretty average reviews. Elsewhere in the world at this time, China was in the midst of its spring and autumn period, uh, with the reigning Zhou dynasty having little to no regional control. La Venta was the main center of the Olmec civilization in what is now Mexico. A decade earlier, Carthage had conquered Sicily, Sardinia, and Corsica. 
11 years later, the Buddha attains enlightenment in, and Buddhism was born in India. In just 60 years, the Persians will meet the Greeks in the Battle of Thermopylae. And I do want to talk briefly about Babylon and Persia in general. So again, we talked about our cradles of civilization, there, there, with Mesopotamia kind of being the earliest. There were four main civilizations in Mesopotamia. First, the Sumerians, who are credited uh, with being the first to invent writing. They were conquered by the Akkadians, led by Sargon the Great. And after the collapse of the Akkadian Empire, the area didn't really have a strong centralized leadership until the Assyrians came to power in northern Mesopotamia, with the Babylonians following in the south. Both were centered around uh, old Akkadian cities. The city of Babylon itself dates back to around 2300 BCE, and under, under Hammurabi in the 18th century BCE, the kingdom became the dominant one of Mesopotamia and had a, a very brief stint as an empire before declining after Hammurabi's death. The city later fell under the control of the Hittites, and after that, the Assyrians. At the end of the 7th century BCE, Babylon was finally able to throw off the yoke of a weakened Assyrian empire under the leader Nabopolassar. And we enter the period of our story and intolerance with Babylon as the center of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Major building products were undertaken and continued under Nabopolassar's son and successor, Nebuchadnezzar, the same king mentioned in the book of Daniel in the Bible. Uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world were the hanging gardens of Babylon, immense tiered gardens in the city, though no modern, no modern evidence can corroborate their existence and also keep in mind that the Great Pyramids of Egypt are the only member of the list of the seven ancient wonders still in existence. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BCE, just 23 years before the Persians would take over and put an end to Babylonian rule. On the Persian side, the first incarnation of a Persian empire was the Achaemenid Empire, founded by Cyrus the Great himself just 11 years before they conquered Babylon, uh, after winning their autonomy in what is now Iran. The Persians were unique for conquerors as they didn't force conquered peoples to convert to their customs or religion, just submit to their rule. After Babylon, they continued through Mesopotamia and into Asia Minor or Anatolia, which contained our now fallen city of Troy. And then the, the Persians began to butt heads with the Greeks. The Greco-Persian Wars began just 40 years after the fall of Babylon, and the Battle of Thermopylae, again as depicted in the movie 300, another 19 years after that in 480 BCE. And just to tie our last two weeks together a little more and advance our overall timeline, I want to fill in a few gaps we won't be covering on film. The famous historian Herodotus, uh, through whom we have many stories of the Greeks and Persians, was born in 484 BCE. Our friend Socrates, who we do meet as Socrates in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, was born around 470 BCE, just 10 years after the Battle of Thermopylae. A famous student of Socrates was Plato, through, through whom we actually know of the ideas of Socrates as he wrote things down, unlike Socrates. Plato, in turn, taught Aristotle, and that trio of successive philosophers may be familiar to you, but Aristotle also had a very famous pupil though he's not known for philosophy, Alexander the Great. Uh, basically, Alexander conquered everything we've discussed so far. After Greece and Asia Minor, he subdued Egypt, then headed back east and through Mesopotamia and Persia and into India. And 217 years after Cyrus the Great conquered it, Alexander died in the city of Babylon, Vilnius, at just 32 years old. 
And that should do nicely to bridge us to next week as we jump over to India, where Bollywood meets the ancient world in Ashaka. Ashaka.